You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. We often read in the Bible, don't we, Isaiah, for unto us a child is born. Well, actually, this morning we welcome Solomon to church for the first time because Edward and Anugra are here with their new baby. Born last Sunday, and everyone will ask me the, the weight, seven pound four. I'm not quite sure the challenges of that, but I think it's wonderful seeing you guys here. It is great. We're thrilled for you. Good to have you with us. Great. I'm doing, uh, we're doing four weeks on Advent. This is week two. Last week, if you missed it, we said the Christmas story was the biggest story that's ever been told. In fact, the Christmas story started... We said before creation, and we'll go right on until Revelation. That was week one, big picture. This week, I'm going right the other way, small picture, up close and personal. So if you've got a Bible, I'm going to be reading from Matthew, and I'm also going to be reading from Luke. This is looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of Joseph and Mary. So Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 18 to 20. Five, the birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with us, with child, and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. There are four accounts of the life of Jesus in the the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm now going to jump across to Luke, and I'm going to read from chapter 1 of Luke, who again tells us about the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus foretold. Matthew, just to put it in context, really we learn about what it was like for Joseph. In Luke, we're going to learn much more about what it's like for Mary. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
You will be with child and will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. And we be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has said she's barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Let's pray. Father, some of us, let's be honest, most of us in this room, we've heard the Christmas story so many times. We ask that you'd speak to us afresh through it today. We don't just want to read part of your word and then rush on. We want to ask the Holy Spirit, who was the author who inspired this, that he will speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the Father. We believe the Father in heaven has to choose a place for where his child is going to be born. His one and only precious son. Where might you have chosen? I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking, God, if I'd have been God and I know that I'm going to send my one son to planet Earth, what kind of place might I have I chosen? Well, I guess the obvious place would be a palace. Because if I could send him to a palace, then I know that he'd have the finest food and the finest clothes. Actually, often those in a palace, there's money. And I think, surely I want my son to have money. Some of you might think, no, you think differently. Actually, I'd have chosen to put him in where the scholars were. To be born to scholars. Because where there's mind-stretching education, who knows the possibilities If we could just educate, educate, educate. If we could understand mysteries, who knows what could happen? Some of you think, no, no, I wouldn't do education. I wouldn't go to a palace. You know what I'd do? I'd go to a politician. If I could have my son... Some of you think, why on earth would you go to a politician? Why? Because they've got determination and they've got contacts. And whether you like it or not, you could suddenly say, oh, they were born to a politician. They, They just keep going. They always know somebody. Maybe actually you think, you know what, if I wish to to give my child to anyone, I'd give them to a priest. Someone who's religious. Someone who actually really seeks after the God. I would give. What I find fascinating is this story is the father chooses Joseph and Mary. This was no accident, this was a plan. Joseph, what do we know about Joseph? We know that he was a manual laborer who did not have enough influence to get a room for his wife to stay in, even though she was in labor. I bet when Edward was in hospital with Anugra last week, you know what I'm saying? As a dad, you'd be there doing anything, you know what I'm saying? We need help, you know, I mean, the the buzzer for the nurse isn't quick enough. You're running down the corridor, get me help. You know, you think, oh, you you want McDonald's to eat now? You never eat McDonald's. Oh, but of course you're you're giving birth. I will get you. As a father, you do anything 
Joseph was unable even to get a room. What do we know about Mary? We believe that Mary was his teenage sweetheart. They were so poor that when they made the offering to give thanks for the child in the temple, they gave the poorest sacrifice possible. So if I had to describe these two, I'd say they're probably the lowest of the low. The Christmas story teaches this, that the Father has very different values to you or I. Because if I was to send my son to earth, I might have chosen any of the former. But actually, he chooses Joseph and Mary. So let's look at the Christmas story and try and get personal about them and apply it to ourselves. You see, the danger is, so my first point is this, I think he chooses them because they're humble. You see, the, the reality is that we've made the whole nativity story, and I've even got this cute picture coming up. This nativity story, so sort of, oh, sweet and quaint, and oh, you know, there was nice, clean, very yellow straw often. You know what I'm saying? And very sort of, you know, the shepherds or, or angels, and it can all look so sort of pristine. As a family, we watch the nativity every Christmas. It's that sort of classic film for us that you just think, oh, it seems a real laugh, but there's this feel-good factor. There's this school class are singing the story all about Jesus. As a dad, I used to love going to school plays where, let's be honest, you just stick a tea towel on your kid's head and suddenly they're a shepherd. You know, it's almost like this is it, isn't it? But what was it really like? Well, the engagement that they had gone through often was made between two children. So Solomon Woods has already been engaged to, I don't know, Shreya at the front here. And the two families, we picked this out for a long time ago. And we suddenly say, you know what? In fact, often there was a matchmaker involved. These kids might never have met each other. They might not have been in the same town, but suddenly there was, there was this engagement. And you know what? Our kids are going to marry And then suddenly this pledge, this pledge in those days was literally like the wedding in terms of you had one year, but if you wanted to break the pledge, you got divorced. In fact, you could be a widow and be a virgin in those days because you were not supposed to have sex until the wedding night, but you'd been pledged, so you were considered the wife. And if your husband died in that year, you were a virgin widow. That's how they understood marriage. They were like this. For Mary and Joseph, think about the situation. Their reputation is on the stake. It's it's, it's on the line, isn't it? Not only their reputation, their whole family reputation. We've been planning this, thinking about this for years. We know he was a carpenter. He was a local businessman. His, His business was on the line. Dreams and plans. Let's be honest, whenever you chat to somebody, you know, so they're, oh, they're going to get married, or they're going to have their own home, and the, the whole future opens up, and suddenly with this one bit of news, their whole plans would have changed. You see, the messenger from God comes and brings a very challenging scenario. It's a big ask and can cost you everything. And yet we've made this the Christmas story. Oh, the Christmas story is so sweet, isn't it? She's always wearing blue, isn't she? And he's always got a beard and walking along. And suddenly you think, no, what happened here is God came and says, I want everything. 
I guess that's true of Jesus. Jesus, when he meets the rich young ruler, and, and the rich young ruler says, do you know what? I've done everything. And Jesus says, you've got one last thing to do. Sell everything, give to the poor, come follow me. What? Suddenly, the ask is everything. So often, I chat to people and chat to my neighbors recently, and they say, oh, I think Jesus was a good teacher. I think good teacher, he, he wants everything from you. He said this, love your enemies. What? I mean, that person, I mean, I've not spoken to them for 20 years. You know, their kid beat my kid up at school. We've not chatted for 20. Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, forgive those who persecute you. Oh, the Christmas story makes us realize that actually God comes with this incredible big ask. How do Mary and Joseph respond? With deep humility. Joseph, and sometimes I think we give him a bad press for this, he says, I'm just going to quietly divorce my wife. He, he didn't want to make a big public slinging match of it. He wasn't going to put a headline in the sort of Jerusalem Tribune or whatever, saying, oh, you know, Mary, she says it's from God, but you know what? No, he just said, I'm just going to do the quiet thing. Humbly do that. How does Mary respond with this life-changing news? Well, I mean, we think she was a teenager. You're a teenager. Suddenly, you know, you could be a single mom. You could she says, I am the Lord's servant. This is a huge challenge for you and me. Why is it such a big challenge for us? I read this week, and now you, some of you, you won't hear the rest of the sermon because you're going to sit and add up when I tell you this. The average person spends 84 pounds on themselves while they're out buying Christmas presents for others. The average person spends 84 pounds on themselves whilst Christmas shopping for others. You see, we're so caught up even in this season of giving that actually we think, oh, what about me? I think I probably deserve this. Amazing, you go into shops now, isn't there? And they say, you spend a lot on your friends and we give you a voucher for you. Our whole society is it's about us. And suddenly the Christmas story is saying, no, no, it's about God and his ask. We, we discover in the story that I read that Elizabeth was having a child. We know that child was Jesus' cousin. We know it was John the Baptist. What does John the Baptist say later on? We can read about it in John chapter 3. He didn't write the book. It's another gospel account. John 3 verse 30. He talks about Jesus. He must become greater I must become less. You see, that's the Christmas story. That's what was happening with Mary and Joseph. Is that what we understand of the Christmas story? It's not just this big story that affects all of history. It should affect each one of us. Jesus himself taught the disciples in what's known as the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Golly, I thought this Christmas story was a nice, cuddly little one. You know, I thought we could sing about angels turning up and blessing people with the impossible. Actually, the more I look at the Christmas story, it's, golly, I need to walk in humility before who God is and what he asks of me. Rick Warren, he's a pastor in the States. He's accredited with this quote, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. 
I think so often the danger is even when it comes to Christmas and that, we can be out shopping and we're thinking about ourselves. And maybe even this morning we think about ourselves. Oh, golly, I'm not sure if I want to do that. It's wet, it's cold. No, I shouldn't be saying this. You're here. Joyce Meyer, she's an author and speaker. She says this, Humility may well be one of the most difficult of the fruit of the Spirit to be cultivated in us and to maintain. That's because without humility, it's not likely that you will put your complete trust in God. We're going to do a baptism. A baptism is somebody saying, I humble myself before Christ. A baptism is almost saying, look, Jesus, you're not just my saviour. You saved me from my sins and from eternity without you. You're also my Lord. I literally humble myself before you. The Christmas story is that God gave his son to those who are humble. But what else do we discover from the Christmas story about who does God give his son to? Again, I think we've, we've heard the story. I've heard it so many times, and I'm, I'm thinking and thinking this way. Oh, God, help me to see again. See, I believe that God gave his son to those who had faith. You see, nothing like this has ever, ever, ever happened. Can you believe it? A young girl is having a baby from God. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? It's never, ever happened, does it? It, It's impossible, isn't it? What it tells us is that Joseph and Mary, Joseph and Mary were afraid. I picked that up in both readings. I've heard that many times. Oh, they were afraid. I thought, what's fear sound like? I guess it's anxiety. It's concern, it's apprehension, it's scared, it's shocked, it's suspicious, it's alarmed, it's disturbed, it's distressed, it's daunted, it's panic-stricken, perplexed, petrified, spooked, stunned, terrified. All of these words would have given us an insight into what it was like for Mary and Joseph on the Christmas story. Even today... Many people would like to mock whether it was a virgin birth. They feel embarrassed. They try and explain it away. Joseph, when he hears, he believes. One commentator, these are books that are written on this, said that actually him not having sex with Mary was an act of faith because he so believed that this child was from God that he did not sleep with her until the child was born. We know that Luke was a medical doctor. He was not writing some myth, myth, some idea, some dream, some, ah, that could be a nice idea. No, actually, he was a medical doctor that wrote times and places. So what he was trying to say is, this is fact. What is true of Joseph that he believed is doubly true of Mary. She hears from the angel and she believes. The Holy Spirit comes on Mary and enables her to do more than she could ever do by herself. She believes. There's a letter in the New Testament written called the letter of Hebrews. 
And it says in there, Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I believe that Mary and Joseph were those who believed. What about you? What about me? When I get to the Christmas story, does it challenge me about faith? Do I really trust him? Or is it just what I can touch, taste, smell, get my hands upon? I love the story. Uh, There's a guy who comes to Jesus. It's in Mark. There you go. I've got all the four Gospels in this morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I quoted them. This guy comes to Jesus, and he's struggling to believe. And that can be true for many of us. And he shouts out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And for some of us, if we're honest, we can be sat here today and think, you know, I, I believe, but I struggle. I believe, but I've got doubts. I think Jesus wants to come and stir us to, to trust in him. I don't think it's wrong to have questions. I believe that Mary's request for information was honored by God. It wasn't for proof. It was like, tell me more. We run an alpha course for those that think, well, actually, I'm not sure about all this. I'd like to find out some more information so that I could believe. I'll tell you, one of the challenges to me is if we don't believe in the Christmas story, we struggle to accept the Easter story. And if we we start dismissing that actually Jesus was born of a virgin, then we start to dismiss that he rose again from the dead. And so there's something here of us coming and believing. I didn't write down the person's name, so I'm going to pretend this is my own thought, but it's far too intelligent for me. They said this, maybe we fight the virgin birth because we do not want to acknowledge the need to bow before an almighty saviour. You see, a virgin birth would demand absolute allegiance. Are we prepared to trust, completely trust, not knowing what it's going to look like, but actually the Christmas story comes and says, hey, it's not just a big dream about all the histories. What about you? Will you trust him today? Martin Luther King, he was an activist, he was also a Baptist minister, says faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. How do I trust him? And I love that about people getting baptized. It's almost like the first step in your Christian walk. Actually, I trust him. I I can't even see where the top of the stairs is going, but I trust him. Ben Steen, he's actually a Jewish writer, an actor and commentator. He says faith is not believing God can It is knowing that God will. And sometimes if we're really honest, we say, oh, I believe God can, I believe God can. Oh, will he? Faith is actually trusting. Many have done that even today in the offering. He thought, you know, I'm trusting God. When we hear the story of the person getting baptized this morning, we will understand the point they came to believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. You see, the Father gives his Son to those who will believe. And the third thing that I just want to say at this Christmas story, and then we will be getting on to the baptism, is I believe from the, 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 the story of Christmas that it's those that are humble, those that believe, and it's those that obey. Those that obey. You see, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel commanded. 
I find it fascinating that if you read uh, the, the book of Matthew, just at the beginning, Joseph uh, has like four angelic visitations. It's amazing. Dreams, angel, God speaking. And every time he gets up and obeys, immediately. He married Mary at once, it tells us. Took her home as his wife. He fled with his family to Egypt because God says, actually, the boy is in danger. Flee. So he fled. It says he returns to Judea after another dream, and then God speaks to him again and says, actually, don't settle here. I want you to go on to Galilee. Joseph obeyed God's word rather than weighed God's word. So God spoke, and Joseph obeyed. Our danger, I think, so often from the Christmas story is we hear God's word, and then we weigh it and think, hmm, does that fit with me? Do I want to do that? What's God said? Are we still weighing it, or are we obeying it? You see, Joseph was a descendant of David, and that was really important because to the Jews, you find lots of lists in the Bible, and they like to prove who their ancestors was, and it was almost like gave them credibility, I suppose. Now, in many respects, he was a biological descendant of David, and that was great because loads of the Old Testament prophets had been, actually, God's son would be of a biological descendant of David. But more than that, he was a true descendant of David, because he decided to obey and do God's will. You see, David, and we can read about this actually in the book of Acts, it says, after removing Saul, he made David their king, God testifying, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So actually, David said, I love you, Lord, and he wrote all these songs, we call them Psalms, but actually the, what the Bible says is, do you know what? He not only heard me, he obeyed me. And so Joseph was a true son of David because he heard God and he obeyed God. God is looking for that kind of instant faith. We know, don't we, in the life of um, Abraham, Abraham was a very old man and he was barren and his wife Sarah was old and they weren't going to have children. And anyway, God says, you will have a child and they get a child and his name is Isaac. And then we read in Genesis 22 that God suddenly says, actually, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. Well, that's the kind of word that I might have thought, man, I need to weigh that one. What does it say? Early the next morning. I don't think he even told his wife. Because he obeyed God. He heard and he obeyed. I used to be a primary school teacher. This was 20 years ago. You couldn't get away with it today. But I used to have a motto in my class. And I used to say to my kids, when I say jump, you should already be in the air. I said, if you're asking how I, you're asking too many questions. I said, if we get along like this for the rest of the year, we'll have a great year together. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a preacher and a medical doctor here in London. He says, love is not just a sentiment. Love is a great controlling passion, and it expresses itself in terms of obedience. Why does someone get baptized? Because they're saying, I, I obey. Jesus, you tell me to get baptized? I obey you. George Whitfield, he was a preacher uh, many years ago. 
He says, various other pleas and arguments which men of corrupt minds frequently urge against yielding obedience to the just and holy commands of God. He says, the danger is that actually we say, I want to follow him, but then we have all these arguments. And instead, we've got to be those that say, come on, I obey. Some of you have written a pledge down, even this morning, on a paper because you felt God say something. That's hard. Not this time. I know the last time, I'll only say this because my wife's on the kids' work. The last time we had a gift day, I felt God tell us to give an amount. And I know she thought, God, that's hard. And as we actually put the envelope in, she cried. And she thought, oh, God, I know what that's going to cost. But there's something of, I obey what you say. I'm not going to sit back and weigh. Jesus tells the story himself, doesn't he, of the, of the pearl of greatest price. This man literally he goes along and he discovers this treasure in a field. So he buries it again. And he, what does he do? He sells everything he has because he says, I must have that treasure. Now we know the treasure is Jesus Christ. But actually what he's saying is, I give everything for this, for him. The Christmas story, I believe, is the father gives his son to those who obey So therefore, in conclusion, I just want to challenge us real deep and personal this week. Next week, it'll be another part of the Christmas story. It's going to be different. But this week, it's you and me. Are we humble? Are we too proud to admit our need of God? Are we full of faith? He's the God of the impossible. Are we obeying what he's told us? Or are we still putting it on hold? You see, the Christmas story is not just meant to be some nice nativity that happened 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away. Actually, this is challenging us right now. Oh, I want this pearl of greatest price. I want Jesus so much. Will I humble myself? Will I trust him? And will I obey? Let's just pause. Let's just take a moment. If you believe God's spoken to you, if you feel challenged by what I've shared, hopefully from the Christmas story, I'm not going to ask you to say anything to anyone else. I'm just going to suggest you take 30 seconds, pray it back to God. I feel challenged about humility or faith or obedience. God, I believe you've spoken to me. I'm going I'm to be different. Let's just take that time right now to do business with God. Father, I thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son. I'm not sure If it had been me, I'd have given my son to the lowest of the low, the poor. But you did. I thank you still today that you give your son to those that are humble, trusting you and obedient. I pray as we've looked at the Christmas story today that it would challenge each one of us. What are you asking me to do? Father, if I'm really honest... It's not always hearing you that's the problem. It's obeying. I pray this Christmas that you give us guts 
to really obey what God has said to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.